Hello and good morning, everybody. Hi, this is Ray Padgett. Hey, how are you doing today, dude? I'm good. How are you doing? Absolutely fantastic. It is about time that we finally get these stories that you've released in this book, Pledging My Time. Because, you know, I'm, I'm that guy in radio that didn't want to talk to Elton John. I wanted to talk to his band members or I wanted his road manager because that's where the stories are. And look at what you've done. <laughs> A man after my own heart. That's exactly, exactly right. These are the people who are really going to tell you what life working with Bob Dylan is like. And and the the fact that you go in deep and you get to talk with someone like a Jeff Bridges and you tell a story here or share a story, I didn't I didn't know that they worked together at all. Yeah, they were they worked together on a critically panned movie called Mastin Anonymous about twenty years ago. Um, and the funny story he told me is that one day he's in his trailer. Jeff Bridges that is, is in his trailer and there's a knock on the door. He opens the door and there's Bob Dylan standing there <laughs> holding an acoustic guitar. And Bob says, you want to jam? And so they just sit in Jeff's trailer playing music together. <laughs> you know, we all have this vision of who we think Bob Dylan is. It's through the magazines. It's through all these documentaries that we see on Netflix and Hulu. But when you get as close as you do to hear the stories, how did it change you? Yeah, I mean, I'm someone who's read every Dylan book. I thought I knew a lot about him, but just hearing it directly from the people who in some cases have stood next to him on stage for years, it opens up really a different side of him as both a boss, but also as sort of a musical collaborator and what it's like to, you know, every single day just be playing these songs with this guy who never, who's always changing, never wants to play things the same way twice. Yeah, well, how about the biggest change of them all when he went electric? I mean, it's like the critics were bashing him like you wouldn't believe, and it's like, but but that band still had to play with him. That's right. I mean, I talked to some of the people who were there, including one person who was in the band at Newport, the first going electric gig, and he talked about, you know, the chaos backstage and what it was like on stage when the audience, half of them are cheering and half of them are booing and occasionally throwing things. Can you imagine being in that moment of, of making that decision? Because, I mean, I mean, I'm sure it didn't just happen overnight. It was something that, that, that the entire band was contemplating, but then it actually happens. It didn't quite happen overnight, but it was closer than you might think. I mean, this guy I interviewed showed up to Newport Folk Festival intending to play with a different band. And then, like, literally the day before Dylan went electric, so to say, he he joined the, he was asked he was asking musicians, hey, do you want to play with me? Do you want to play with me? So it wasn't quite in the moment, but he like made the decision, you know, basically the day before he did it. I, I'm sure you recorded the interviews that you have of the of the people that you that you put in or that you're featuring inside this this book. I mean, will you do something with them in the way of creating some sort of documentary or even a podcast where we can hear the passion in their voices? Yeah, there is something I've sort of done already with clips. I've, I put them, I've collected some sort of montages on YouTube nice. you can find where it'll be like five people talking about the first time I met Bob Dylan or five other people talking about, you know, a time Dylan called out a song on stage we had never rehearsed. And I, I do think there's something you, you get uniquely just from hearing them tell the stories. What is it like for you as a creative person in the way that when you've, when you've got something as valuable as, as this book, as well as that sound, once you set it free, it belongs to us now. Does that, is that okay with your heart? Oh, that, that's the best part. I mean, it's funny because, like, when I started doing these, uh, I was sort of thought, ah, this seems pretty niche. I mean, most of these names are not Jeff Bridges. Most of them are people who are not very famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
seeing how well it's been received and how many sort of Dylan nerds there are like me out there that just can't get enough of these stories has been gratifying. <laughs> so how was Bob Dylan in the studio versus on the road? I mean, there had to have been a story that was generated. Yeah, I mean, in some in some ways he's similar. Like in the really? studio, he's also just in the moment. He'll play a song, you know, twice at most. He won't even tell the band. He'll just start like playing the song, and you basically have to figure it out on the spot. There are so many stories of these people talking about, you know, having to just basically figure everything out on the spot and how that was both invigorating but also at times exhausting. See, that tells me that Bob Dylan lives in the moment of now. In other words, he, he feels it. It, ha- it has got to happen right now. He has that early quote in one of his songs, he not busy being born is busy dying, and that sort of seems to have guided his entire career. Yeah. I like the relationship between he and Tom Petty. I mean, can you imagine being Tom Petty and you open up for Bob Dylan? You not only open up for him, but also serve as his backing band. I talked to, sadly, Petty Petty had passed by the time I started this, but I talked to several members of the Heartbreakers, Ben Montench, the keyboardist, and Stan Lynch, the drummer. And yeah, they talked about going on the road, even as they were already an extremely famous band. But just when Bob Dylan asks you to become the backup band, you don't hesitate. How, how did you feel when you were getting that conversation with Larry? Because it seems like that, that I, I laughed. There's, there's a great vibe inside that story with him playing with Larry. Yeah, I mean, Larry Campbell is someone, I love Larry. He's been, he was Bob Dylan's guitarist for, I think, seven years. Um, you know, it's sort of a full-time job, basically. And he has all these amazing stories, like the one where they're playing for the Pope, and one of the Pope's aides runs up to Larry as he's playing and starts yelling, he's, Bob's got to go meet the Pope, Bob's got to go meet the Pope. <laughs> yeah. Larry's, Larry's trying to play the song. And afterwards, he goes over to Bob and says, hey, Bob, this guy's yelling at me and says, you've got to go meet the Pope. <laughs> now, whose decision was it to put the, the black and white photos in there with, like, with Billy Cross? I can see Bob singing with Billy. I like that because right away you're going, oh, my God, I know who that is. I, I've seen that uh, in, in a video. And, and so, I lo- so it's not just a name. You're, you're showing the physical pictures of it. Yeah, that was my decision, and I think it was important because, like I say, there's Jeff Bridges, there's Richard Thompson, there are some fairly famous names, but a lot of these people are not famous names, and it helps you to picture them actually playing with Bob. You know, it just helps sort of identify them, especially when they're all together, and I didn't want them to sort of blend together because they all have their own unique and amazing stories. What is it like for someone like uh, Fred Tackett to be, you know, best known for Little Feet, but at the same time, I mean, he's standing next to Bob Dylan. Yeah, and he was there when Bob Dylan went Christian. So Whoa, yeah. People booing him. You know, that's another time where they're going on the road. People want to hear Blowing in the Wind and Like a Rolling Stone, and Bob Dylan is only singing songs about his newfound faith in Jesus. Uh, so he <laughs> talked about all the boos and people throwing stuff then, too. Do you, when, when you sell the catalog like Bob did, he didn't sell his soul. As far as I'm concerned, by, by selling the catalog, it's almost like he said, okay, I've held on to this long enough. I need to find a new me. Did you pick up on any of that from the people that you interviewed? Yeah, I mean, I mean, no one really talked about that specifically because that's sort of a business decision that yeah. these people weren't involved in it. But in terms of, you know, putting the past in the past and just constantly looking toward the future, that's something in various ways Dylan has done his entire life. Now, one of the things that you opened my eyes to is the fact that you say Bob Dylan was compared to jazz. I never thought of that, but I, I, I went and I listened and I'm going, OK, I get it. I, I get it. 
Yeah, I was surprised because a number of musicians mentioned that. And at first I'm like, come on, he's not Miles Davis. Right. But they were saying not in the genre, not in the genre sense, but just in the sense of living in the moment, constantly making it new and fresh and not just playing the parts you've played a hundred times before. They kept jazz kept coming up. And I found that a fascinating through line through a lot of these. Were you shocked when Bob Dylan appeared at Farm Aid in 1985? I mean, I, I you know, I, I understand he came up during the protest days uh, and and folk rock and things, but but the thing is, I, I it was it was such a unique change in in the Bob Dylan that we saw in those black and white movies. Yeah, I mean, because Farm Aid that was the very first time he played with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, yeah. and you know he's wearing like a sleeveless leather vest and you know a big earring. It's very very different than the protest singer, that's for sure. What, what did you learn? Because, I mean, you know, you, I know that you've been a student of Bob Dylan for years and you've written a lot of things and read a lot of things, but that you're still a student, though. Yeah, I mean, I learned a ton talking to these people. One interesting thing was just hearing that, you know, he is he is mysterious. He is closed off. He is aloof. All those things are true to us, the fans, to the most people. But once you get in his inner circle, which Lord knows is hard, but these people did. He's just a guy. He's a boss. He hangs out backstage. There's all sorts of stories of, oh, then we went swimming or, oh, we went to check out this concert on our downtime and this funny thing happened. Like even as they revere him, he's also, uh, you know, a peer and in some cases becomes a personal friend. You're so right about him being a mysterious man because he he was always wearing the sunglasses or uh, the, the years that he put the white on his face, the white paint on his face. I mean, that to me was like, oh, what are you up to, Mr. Bob Dylan? Yeah, there was a funny story that one of those musicians in the Rolling Thunder tour when the face paint on Scarlett Rivera had, where she's walking down, she's an unknown violin player, walking down the street in New York, carrying her violin, looking for a job, basically, and a car pulls up, window rolls down, Bob Dylan pokes his head out, looks at her and says, hey, can you play that thing? And before you know it, she's in his band. And that's the, that's, that's not that atypical in terms of how people end up playing with Bob Dylan. It's very happenstance. <laughs> where can people go to find out more about you and all of your other writings, as well as, you know, just to give you some love and support uh the i run this substack email newsletter called flagging down the double e's you can find it at flaggingdown.com. it's all about bob dylan and concert and i'm going to continue trying to interview more people for that and maybe there'll be a second book one day well then that means you got to come back to this show when you're ready <laughs> i'd love to all right man will you be brilliant today okay all right you too thank you